Welcome to Life Together, a podcast for Gresham Bible Church, where we exist to glorify God in being disciples who make disciples of all people through the transforming power of the gospel. On this episode, we hear from Jordan's dad, Mark Bradley. Mark has been in ministry for years, so I wanted to have a conversation with him around the theme of counsel and encouragement for dads and pastors. We'll hear Mark's testimony and hear he and Jordan talk about what it looked like growing up as a pastor dad and a pastor's son. I appreciate Mark's willingness to come on the podcast and trust this conversation will be helpful in hearing from a man who has walked with Jesus with long obedience in the same direction. Church on uh, the podcast this week, we have a very special guest, Jordan Bradley's dad, Mark Bradley, and we are going to get to know Mark a little bit more. And the main reason I wanted to ask Mark on the podcast is maybe this is selfish, but I want to hear from a brother who's walked with Jesus, who has raised kids, who's been in ministry. And I think this is going to encourage and bless us as a church just to hear from Mark and a secondary uh, reason just so I'm clear is to hear funny, embarrassing stories about Jordan. So yes. by the time this conversation is done, hopefully we've accomplished both of those things. Does that sound that fair sounds, to both of you? Yeah, sure. And Jordan, remind Gresham Bible Church, when is your birthday? Uh, March 11th. Okay. So we will be posting this around your birthday. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It will be the week we do I that. I hope this episode helps encourage people to bring you snickerdoodles for I your birthday. I am always welcome. <laughs> Any and all snickerdoodles. Uh, that's great. All right. Well, let's just jump in. Uh, Mark, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Why don't we just start with what should Gresham Bible Church know about you? Paint us kind of a brief picture. What should we know about you? Yeah. Well, um, I've been in ministry uh, for a lot of years now. I was a pastor for 25 years and 13 years now with the seminary. And uh, that's uh, kind of a surprising place for me to have landed after uh, some of my high school years because uh, I was an atheist actually in high school um, and pretty outspoken uh, opponent of Christianity, kind of mocked it uh, to some of my high school friends. And uh, so it's it's just a blessing to to wow. land it in ministry and uh, uh, to, you know, to know the Lord and, and to serve the Lord is is a is a great thing. Uh, I, I hope I never get over God's grace that he pulled that off in my life. Amen. And, uh, you know, there's details to my testimony that that just are especially precious to me. But um, um, yeah, I hope hope I'm seen and and uh, seen by the Lord more than just seen by people as someone who is committed to the Lord and and is uh, about His Word and, and His ministry. Amen. So just a quick follow up questions, and then I'd love to have you share your brief testimony. Mm-hmm. So 25 years pastoring, where did that in, include? Yeah, my first pastorate was uh, not too far from here. It was in Beaver Creek, Oregon, okay. so just out beyond Oregon City. Um, I was elected unanimously by eight people meeting, <laughs> meeting in the Grange Hall out there oh, wow. uh, the day before I started seminary. And um, uh, I think none of us 
Well, no, a couple of the people that voted that day lived in Beaver Creek, but some of us had commuted out there from Southeast Portland. And uh, so one of the things we did is, is move out there pretty right. soon. So anyway, um, I was there for eight years uh, through finishing my MDiv and, and then uh, a little longer. And we built a first acquired property, built the first unit of a building and, mm. and uh, saw some good growth the last 18 months before we left there to, to go to California where I worked on my PhD. Um, and then we uh, went from Mill Valley, California, where the seminary was, uh, Golden Gate Seminary, now Gateway. Uh, we went to Pullman, Washington to be pastor there. Go Cougs. Uh, go Cougs. <laughs> hey, we got it. That was great. Man, stereo right here. Um, Mike's from Spokane, so he's got Cougs. Oh, yeah, go oh, you Cougs. Got, you got, yep. got Cougs connections from Spokane. That's great. Um, so... Yeah, I went there at age 33, and uh, I was there for 17 and a half years. Mm. And so that was, um, you know, the Beaver Creek Church was very small. It grew from 8 to 80 in about eight years. Um, the church in Pullman was a, already a well-established, medium-sized church, and, uh, um, you know, really a university church. I mean, there were mm. a lot of students and uh, faculty and deans and department chairs and all kinds of stuff uh, there in that church. So uh, very different experience from the, the little quasi-rural church in, in Beaver Creek. And uh, it was a good good place to be. Uh, mm-hmm. Dynamic ministry there. Um, a lot of painful, struggling times as well that, yeah. that left some marks on Jordan as well as me. But yeah. uh, uh, lessons learned through mm-hmm. all that. But uh, you know, bottom line, uh, good stuff happened in Pullman, and I, I feel blessed to have had that experience and mm-hmm. certainly learned a lot through it all. Yeah, and then what's your current role? My current role is uh, I'm the director of the Pacific Northwest Campus of Gateway Seminary. Mm-hmm. Gateway Seminary used to be Golden Gate Seminary, and uh, that's one of six Southern Baptist seminaries in the United States. The other five have the South surrounded. Uh, <laughs> Gateway Seminary is the only one in the Western United States. And our main campus is in Ontario, California, but we have a multi-campus strategy to spread out across the West to impact people with training uh, for Christian ministry. Cool. So we have five physical campuses. So I'm the director of the one here in the Northwest. It's it's headquartered in Vancouver. And so I've been in that role for uh, 13 years now. And it's mostly an administrative role, you know, setting the schedule, managing the budget, enlisting uh, the professors that we need and recruiting the students. And I teach a little bit. My contract okay. just calls me for to teach six credits a year. Wow, cool. I usually do about half again as much as that. But, but that's that's the the required load and uh, uh, so it's been you know a, a different challenge it's been a little bit similar to pastoring because there's a variety of tasks that I just listed off you know pastoring is you know hey pick up a broom get them up you, <laughs> pick yeah. up the trash you know just you do whatever you have to do that's a little bit that way as well the the pure faculty guys are a little more just focused on their yeah. uh, on their scholarship, but uh, I've got to worry wow. about lots of just other things. From the outside details. looking in, I think that's beautiful that you have experience in the local church, and now you get to deploy that at the seminary level. I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think probably most seminaries try to have that emphasis. Gateway certainly does. Uh, we want experienced practitioners. Uh, 
so most most of our trusty elected faculty members are uh, former pastors or, or missionaries. Wow, that's uh, some great. kind of yeah. significant ministry involvement, not just wow. not just ivory tower all the way. You know, we, we yep. we've been out there and done it. You know, that's really cool. How about your marriage? How long have you? been married, number of kids, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, we were married in uh, 1979. So did, did I do the math? Okay. That's, uh, 43 years. <laughs> It'll be 44 uh, this coming September. Uh, I was only 20 when we got married. Joy was 19. Uh, we got married uh, a week before our junior year of college. Wow. Uh, so um, you know, I had had a goal of, you know, I want to finish school and have $10,000 in the bank, all this kind of junk. <laughs> but then when I got, when I felt called to ministry, it was like, okay, no, we're not waiting until I'm done with school because that's going to really be long. So if we're convinced it's God's will that we're the match mm. for each other, what's, what is the point of waiting? Um, and the stupid goal of having $10,000 in the bank, it's like, whatever, we're going to be. It's never going to happen as may, a pastor. It never happened, right? <laughs> we, we can maybe might be poor forever we might as well just uh let's let's be poor together you know what was uh, your uh, go-to meal as a newlywed as newlyweds oh gosh there's uh, always one you always would tell me about well we had a super a super poor time where there was hardly anything in the cupboards and uh uh, so are you thinking of the refried bean sandwich? That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> what? Yeah. A refried bean sandwich? Refried bean sandwich. Yeah, we were uh, when I was just starting seminary. Uh, Joy was also in a master's program for special ed to the hearing wow. impaired, and um, and we we were just flat out poor. So we were. We were the the thanks you know we we were the benevolent recipients of the Thanksgiving basket from a church uh -huh. at Thanksgiving and then Christmas basket Christmas lamb as well. Her parents were helping us out and I mean the cupboards were pretty bare, and so yeah there was a couple times where well we got a can of refried beans and we got half a loaf of bread. I'm gonna heat up the refried beans and spread it yeah. on the bread and there we go. It's the good stuff. Yeah. Did Jordan have those growing up at all? Not no, by that time remember. that wasn't in the repertoire so. anymore. No. Okay. No, we were we were we graduated to mac and cheese for that's him. Right. I think craft mac and cheese, baby. Yeah. Still take that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I've never heard of a refried bean sandwich. I hadn't either. And I'm picturing some food truck starting with this oh, new man. type of food. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if yeah. that was going to catch yeah, I don't, on. Uh, I don't think that'll catch on, Mike. But uh, yeah. you, you know, keep keep working on your entrepreneurial thoughts. Though. Yeah, I don't there think we that go. going to take off though. Yeah, my my wife Joy had super lean years when she was a very young child. Uh, her parents were in ministry as well. Well, they'd come out of Texas and came to Oregon to pastor church in in Baker, Oregon, now mm. called Baker mm -hmm. City. And she recalls days where it was Zoom for breakfast, Zoom for lunch, Zoom yeah. for dinner, and Zoom cookies, and you know they wow. just all they could afford. So, man, um, yeah, yeah the, the lucrative ministry. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of exploring a few questions with you about ministry, dad. But I don't want to just assume your testimony. And I know before mm -hmm. we started recording, you're like, well, which version do you want? Like the hour version or the five minute version? Uh, <laughs> we'll go on the shorter side of things, but <laughs> why don't you just share with us? Like, 
How did Jesus break into your life? I would love to hear you yeah. share that. You just said you were an atheist in high school. Like, mm-hmm. just kind of walk us through that. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, my parents were moralistic, good people, hard workers, and and very conscientious parents. And so they wanted me to have lots of different experiences to be a well-rounded person and, uh, you know, sent me off for um, – uh, roller skating lessons, and I was in junior <laughs> golf program and junior bowling league and all that kind of stuff. They wanted me to be socially well-adjusted, never have a, an embarrassing situation or whatever. So very conscientious like that. And uh, honestly, I think some of that came out of some shame-based identity for my dad mm-hmm. that he didn't want me to ever uh, have a shameful experience because he, he was sensitive about that in his own life. Uh, so he, I don't think he was conscious of that, but that's, that's my uh, highfalutin <laughs> interpretation of that. Um, they were not churchgoers, but uh, a neighbor who was uh, watching me some, because my parents both worked, uh, was involved in the Lutheran church, and she offered to take me to Sunday school. And I said, well, yeah, that sounds great. So I started going to Sunday school there. And this, uh, uh, an unusual detail about me is that with non-church-going parents, I had perfect attendance on Sunday school for nine consecutive years. Wow, that's I mean, weird. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. How does that ever happen? I mean, even if we were out of town to visit relatives in Eugene, my dad would take me over to the Lutheran Church in Eugene and and come in to like check me in and say, now, can I get like some sort of a receipt thing to, to prove he was a tennis? Because we're keeping this perfect attendance thing going. Did you get like a medal or a pin or yeah, something? Yeah, I got like it? a pin that they would update the year. So I I don't know if I have a pin that has a nine huh. on it, but I know that was the number. And uh, so that's just weird. I mean, again, that shows the conscientiousness, mm-hmm. conscientiousness of my dad. And also it's a tip of a hat a little bit to him being a little bit of a a little legalistic yeah. and moralistic to the point okay. of being legalistic and a scorekeeper kind of guy yeah. and a perfectionist. And so he was a hard dad just to uh, satisfy it sometimes, but also quick with praise when I did do well. Anyway, uh, so I went all the way through confirmation in the Lutheran, Lutheran hmm. church. And I think I was, uh, I think it's fair to say I was the most zealous student in, in the confirmation class. I was a good student. So, you know, there's an academic aspect to learning the life of Jesus and memorizing the Apostles' Creed and all. Um, And I was into it and doing well with that and really sincerely interested in it, trying to apply the teachings of Jesus to my life. Um, And I had a pragmatically disappointing experience with that, like, you know, cursing on the playground or whatever, and then pray to God and say, I'm I'm sorry, I, I repent of that, please forgive me, help me to do better tomorrow. And then I would curse again, you know, the next day. And I had a cycle of that that led to a pragmatic take of, well, this doesn't work. There's futility to it. Um, And then after confirmation, it was anticlimactic at the Lutheran Church. It was like nothing else for me. And no one, you know, my critique on confirmation is that it could be done well, and some churches do it well, this church didn't. The church I was in, it was a program they cranked you through. Mm. They confirmed me. They didn't ask me, do you confirm that the faith that we passively introduced you to in through infant baptism 
you as an as an adolescent and can think for yourself, do you confirm that this is now what you believe after we've had all these classes? And churches that do that, I think, really do see mm-hmm. uh, adolescents come to faith. Mm-hmm. But this is just a program they cranked me wow. through. They spit me out, and I'm confirmed. Well, I could have been led to the Lord so easily, but but unfortunately, that's not the way they did it. So I was confirmed, but I don't, I wasn't saved, and. Uh, and it sort of probably inoculated me to the gospel yeah. a little bit. And then I just stopped going. My parents put a check by religious education in their mm-hmm. conscientious mm-hmm. paradigm of what all they should help me to do as their kid. And they said, it's okay if I don't go anymore or I can go somewhere else. I stopped going. So I became an atheist in high school partly because I started sowing some wild oats, got into rock and roll music and and started drinking and uh, some marijuana, but mostly, mostly drinking. My junior and senior year, I was pretty much a weekend drunk. I mean, mm. every pretty much every Friday night and most Saturday nights, wow. uh, I was just going to get drunk. I didn't, didn't drink socially at all. It's just how quick can you slam these mm. beers or malt liquors, actually, which is double the alcohol content, and get drunk. All right, now we can start. We can go to the, go to the game or go to the movie or whatever we're doing. Um, and so atheism was a more convenient worldview if you're going to live that way. And uh, so I adopted that. And so I graduated from high school as an atheist, got a job at a sawmill in Estacada to earn money to go to college as a business major to make money because that's what life's about. And um, (laughs) I met two guys out there the first day in the job who were training me how to pull lumber. And um, one was a on-fire four-square guy. who uh, attended ECL actually here, oh. and uh, the other guy was a Jehovah's Witness. So they're arguing about some fine point of theology. There's a joke in there somewhere. I said there's a joke in there somewhere. It's coming, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're, they're arguing some fine point of theology, and I was arrogant enough and bold enough about my atheism that I interrupted them, even though I'm the, the young squirt first in the job. I said, you guys are wasting your time, my time, company time. There's there's no God to argue about. Could we talk about sports or something different? Wow. And so they here's the joke. They found themselves in the peculiar position of agreeing on some point of theology for the first time <laughs> in a long time. And that was, you know, the existence of God. So they blasted me with arguments for the existence of God, put, uh, you know, put me down, you know, like mocked my atheism, mm. uh, which has has roots in some biblical uh, uh, scriptures, you know, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Um, but I mean, they got personal about it. It's like, I mean, look at these, uh, you know, 120-foot Douglas firs around us and look at the, uh, well, look at your puny little body. I mean, there's not much uh, meat on the bones there. <laughs> We're going to put some meat on the bones uh, by the end of the summer pulling lumber. But even as puny as your little stupid body is and as, as uh, illogically as your brain is working right now, you still have amazing systems in your body mm-hmm. that couldn't have just happened by chance. I mean, come on. Don't yeah. be don't be an idiot. Yeah. Um, and so there are arguments from design really uh, knocked the feet out from under my atheism right hmm. on the spot. And then the Jehovah's Witness, of course, thought he had a great prospect, but he wasn't making any sense. And the, the evangelical Christian guy was making a lot of sense. So I was very open to it. And wow. uh, uh, we progressed uh, pretty rapidly over three weeks, just talked all day long. I mean, 
pulling lumber is not a mind intensive job. So we had we, we had we had brain cells to spare to, to talk uh, theology and everything. And so I went from uh, atheist to uh, intellectually believing, yeah, this is making sense to wanting it. Um, and then finally decision came and it really wasn't just so much decision as, as just answered prayer from God. Did it, did it overwhelm me? I, I boasted to Kurt, the Christian one morning that I'd driven 106 miles per hour on the way to work that day in my Dodge Challenger. Should have kept it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sweet rig. Anyway, um, he, you know, he'd been kind of a wild guy, so I thought he was going to tap into that, uh, and we were going to have a bro moment there. But <laughs> he had his Christian hat on that morning when I told him that, and he just immediately said, "Little buddy, I wish you'd slow down. Do you get things settled with the Lord?" Mm. And he just said it so sincerely. I mean, it was just so authentic. And we were far enough in these conversations that I it just resonated with me. It's like, whoa. Yeah, that's right. If I if I lost control of the car and hit a telephone pole this morning, I would not have passed go. I would not have collected two hundred dollars. It would have gone straight to hell, you know. And and uh, and I was to the point of believing that. And so that that just put extra urgency on urgency on me. So for the next three or four days, it's I just was eat eating, drinking, sleeping, thinking about Jesus, salvation. Wow. How does it all work? And so. On June 28, 1977, uh, as I started my commute from Westland, Oregon, where I lived with my parents, to Estacada to the Sawmill, I chose to play mellower rock music instead of Black <laughs> Sabbath or Aerosmith or Rush um, because I wanted to think about Jesus. So I played Chicago 9, greatest hits at the time. Love songs written to wives, girlfriends, groupies, I don't know who, but kind of some love lyrics in them. I like to sing, so I was singing with that, but I chose the mellower rock so that I could think about Jesus. So my brain was on two levels, and uh, Kurt had been casting vision for me that when I accept Christ, when I am converted, it'll be a whole new life, a whole new wipe the slate clean, a whole new beginning to life. And so the song Beginnings came on, and the lyrics uh, oh man, kind of fit if you if you yeah. God's got a sense of humor and he's gracious. Uh, some of the lyrics kind of fit. And at the end, the chorus is only the beginning, only the beginning, on and on. And, and I was praying with another track of my brain, God, I want in. How does this work? I wish, you know, tell Kurt to tell me what to do or whatever. Uh, is there something I need to do? I'm ready to do it. If there's something you need to do, please do it. I, I want in. And um, during that song, I had uh, uh, an amazing baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is what I wow. came to understand later. Yeah. Uh, it was experiential. I had a high in my trunk, in my brain, to my extremities. I felt like I was having rapid eye movements. I wasn't sure I could keep control of the car. It was intense. Mm -hmm. And um, I and that, that was my answer. I knew that was God answering my prayer. It was like, here, kid, I know you understand what getting high is about. So here's a pure spiritual high direct from me. And I understood it that way. It's like, wow, this is God's answer. He's just accepted me as his mm -hmm. child. Um, and I turned the stereo off and prayed really a, a pretty amazing model prayer, you know, giving my whole life to the Lord and everything. And, um, 
And the, the stretch of the stretch of the road I was on when that happened was Highway 212 going through Clackamas, which yeah. is the road to Damascus, Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before I turned off to go to Escada, and years later I I put that part together. I was like, wait a minute, that was the road to Damascus. That's kind of cool. Uh, and if Joy was here, she'd say, oh, and the parallels with the Apostle Paul end right about there. Uh, so that's her her bump line on that. But anyway, so that that was. That was my Man. conversion. It's pretty awesome. And I, I always like to add that uh, my interpretation of that baptism of the Holy Spirit that was so experiential is is not. Uh, and see, of course, I became this, you know, this great minister or something uh, because I was so anointed from the beginning. I, I interpreted quite otherwise. I, I think it's just an amazing illustration of God's grace that he was willing to reach, hmm. condescend, you know, so all the way down to me who understood getting high yeah. and gave me that as the confirmation of my conversion. Uh, he, he's, he stooped down extra low hmm. to get this one, and I'm so grateful that he did. Wow, Mark. And having been an atheist, I have to say, too, that um, I've had doubts throughout my Christian life especially being kind of an intellectually minded person, uh, I'm prone to mm. doubting the whole enchilada sometimes. And, um, you know, I have many intellectual arguments I can uh, c combat that with, of course, too, about the resurrection and everything. But experientially and personally, it's helpful to me to yeah. have that stake in the ground of, hey, what happened on the road to Damascus on June 27, 1977. I can't explain yeah. that any other way. Uh, I hadn't had a drink for a while. I hadn't smoked pot for a while. I never did LSD. It wasn't a flashback. That was purely from sure. God in the yeah. context of me saying, I love you. I was adoring Jesus in song. I was applying those lyrics. I forgot that part. Yeah. I was applying those love lyrics to Jesus while I was singing. Wow. And in the context of adoring Jesus and wanting in, um, that high happened. That that was a divine manifestation of God's love and grace. And God is so kind. I I don't think we should tire as believers of hearing each other's testimonies. Yeah. Like He's so good and amazing. That that's awesome. Yeah. Have you ever redriven that route again and kind of? Oh, just, I have yeah. a lot of times. Yeah, I've I've at least that part. Uh, I haven't been all the way out to Escada very often, but yeah, any time that's a sacred spot in the road for me. I mean, yeah. when when I. My memory kind of works that way. I, I sometimes I can remember, oh yeah, I was reading this book when we right. did the vacation yeah. to Yellowstone or whatever, and, and uh, so yeah, when I drive that stretch of road, I always think, you know, it was right up, right about in here. I was yeah. having that sensation, and that was when I yeah. got converted. God broke into your life. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've even thought about, gosh, should I purchase a piece of property there and have a little chapel. <laughs> you know, but no, that's be like, what, am I going to make a monument to Mark Bradley's conversion? That's not the point. Yeah, you, know, yeah. so. you know, Apostle Paul, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, that would yeah. be weird. Oh, man. God's so good. <laughs> I love that. Um, I just, I think it's important that we hear each other's stories of that. Um, yeah. yeah, so the essence of our conversation kind of want to press into your walk with the Lord and ministry and also as a dad, and I'm just going to give this mm -hmm. as like a disclaimer caveat by just to take the pressure off by no means am I like elevating you as like, you know, Mark has it all together. He's a perfect dad. I think it benefits <laughs> us as Christians mm -hmm. to hear each other speak of the Lord and what we've learned, et cetera. So I just love to kind of pick your brain a little bit and get your insights on some fatherhood stuff. 
So I'll use that mm-hmm. as my T. I'm teeing up. What are some uh, good stories Gresham Bible Church needs to know about Jordan? Mm-hmm. Specifically, it's all love. Maybe one embarrassing, funny story. And we'll use that as our launching point into fatherhood stuff. Mm. And I've been looking forward to this moment of looking at you guys right now. I'm looking forward to what he comes up with. There's not much to choose from. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, uh, yeah, it's actually, it's a little bit hard for me to come up with something like embarrassing or, (laughs) or negative on Jordan. I mean, you know, that's just, that's funny. I mean, there's, there's some serious stuff that's negative. That's just, that's, you know, buzzkill to what you're trying to get at. But, um, Jordan I just was, have to try. No, it's good. Jordan, Jordan was, um, uh, you know, kind of a meek boy in, in a biblical way. You know, just kind of gentle and and sensitive and uh, uh, and just was a good boy, uh, particularly when he was really younger. You know, by the time he was in high school, he. You know, he had this little smart alecky angle to things of uh, uh, snarkiness and all that. But um, but he really was a gentle, good, good kid early on. And uh, uh, I mean, one of the one of the stories I recall about that was um, we were in Mill Valley where I was doing the Ph.D. studies uh, and he was into. Uh, Teenage Ninja Mutant Teenage Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. Yes, and, uh, I can hear the song so, in my mind. You know, one doing the karate moves, you know, and all yeah. that. And so we uh, asked him, well, would you like to actually learn karate? I mean, they, they teach this stuff. It's, it's a serious thing, you know, not just the fake moves. And uh, he was interested. Um, I mean, you, you were sincerely interested, right? Well, did we, yeah, I think I was. Yeah. Yeah. But so we, so I took him to the first lesson and... I mean, we walked into this dojo, and the dude that was running this place was like this ripped, serious uh, drill sergeant-style <laughs> yes. guy, yeah. and the whole place was lined with the trophies, and his guys were running a strict dojo, and all the kids there weren't just doing their fake Ninja yeah. Turtle moves. They were doing real moves, jumping over stuff and doing these tricks and everything, and Jordan was just like... Oh, he just was wide-eyed and scared from the start, and uh, he he didn't really enjoy it that first day. You know, partly probably because he was the low man on the totem pole. And he oh, could I think see I was it. five too. You were I was really five, young. Yeah, yeah, you, five or you six. You were younger than most. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember there was it was like a multi-age class it too. Was, yeah. That I mean I don't know if it was going up to high school, but for some of even if they're in fifth grade, I was like these kids are giants. I have to do it with them, and mm-hmm. that guy was not, from what I can remember, gracious and accommodating to a timid five, six-year-old walking into the room. Yeah, that's right. His style just wasn't conducive for what you yeah. need. I mean, you you need a nurturing encourager. Yes. Yeah. And he was like, you want to learn how to fight? This is what we do <laughs> here. This, you know? yeah, it was like Cobra Kai. Yeah, yeah. Cobra Kai, Rex Quando. Yeah, all totally, of it. Yes. totally was. A little yeah. more yep. that way, right. And so when we headed toward the second lesson, Jordan let me know he didn't want to, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to go. And, uh, I already knew he wasn't excited about it. 
I think Joy and I had already discussed it, and she said, you know, he, he, we got we got to be parents that help him get over this, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's part of why we thought it would be good for him to do the karate lessons, because we thought there was a little bit of timidness, softness in Jordan that would be good to toughen it out, out of him, you know. And so so now there's a little bit of conflict in my mind between, <laughs> between my wife and me about what are we going to do with him, because I'm the one with the kid who's crying and begging not to go. I, yeah, I remember freaking out in the car i'd yeah, like you, you, do not make me go in there please yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean i wonder if you would even reflect on it now as an early early instance of some serious anxiety even oh uh, definitely anxiety yeah, yeah oh no doubt yeah i yeah. I, I, mm, yeah. yeah i i have very i mean i have a pretty good memory for a lot of stuff mm-hmm. back then i mean you mentioned our first church in beaver creek that's my first memory is yeah. building that building that mm-hmm. you did at like age two or three or something. But no, I, yeah, I, I haven't thought about that memory in decades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, I, yeah, I, I wimped out, man. I was not doing it. It was yeah. not happening. I mean, so, you know, it was a tough spot for me because I knew that joy felt like as parents, we need to coach him through this, right. and get him in the door and it'll be good for him in the end. Just like, you know, what kid, not that many kids want piano lessons, but you make them take them. Right. And, I also uh, remember having <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, but I was just in the spot of like, well, I get joy's philosophy, but I'm the one here with the kid who is freaking out. I mean, yeah. he is really having a meltdown about this. It's like, uh, so, that kind of hits a theme of my life in general for life and for parenting is it's always a challenge to balance stuff, you know? Mm. I mean, yeah, I want to, I want to challenge my kids and lead them on and expect the best of them and call out greatness from them in, in different ways. But you have to balance that with, all right, at some point you got to have some, some compassion and, and say, how then, important is it in the big scheme of right, things? I yep. mean, at what at what price making them do this? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I'm confident I made the right decision. I'm guessing you're grateful I didn't make it I go. mean, I don't know. <laughs> UFC started to become a big thing around the time that I might have been black belt. So uh, who yeah. knows what could have been. Yeah, uh, what could have been. You can and, have, you know, with all the street fights I've gotten into over the years, those skills <laughs> would have been helpful. But, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't have. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I probably spared yeah. you a few concussions, but I, I don't know. I know. Yeah, you made the right call. Yeah, that's a about good one. Thinking of the different perspectives on the question. So asking a brother who's walked with the Lord, served a ministry as a dad. Now, Jordan, how about for you? What are just kind of some thoughts or memories of your dad or like growing up in ministry like that outside of the karate and piano lessons? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was seven when we moved to Pullman. I, I mean, I, I remember a little bit of Beaver Creek, but I was so young. Mm-hmm. I more remember our house and memories there and you know, I can remember the layout of the building, but in terms of actual ministry at Beaver Creek, I can't remember, but Pullman certainly is... I mean, that's where I became who I was and mm-hmm. that and Emmanuel Baptist is huge in who I am. So, um, I mean, I, I remember, and I think I have this from you, you finishing sermons at 1am on Saturday nights. And, uh, I, if, if people in GBC don't know, I am often, if, if I'm done by 11 PM on Saturday night, it was like, yes, I crushed it this week. <laughs> so, uh, I remember you being gone Saturday nights. Uh, I remember wanting to go home after church, but you always had to be the last one out the door and mm-hmm. being like, how long do we have to wait? Uh, I remember being old enough that we could finally walk home from church, which was a big deal when I was in like fifth or sixth grade that, cause we lived 
I don't know, 15 minute walk away from the church or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, I, things not just at church, but I just remember walking upstairs most every morning and you reading your Bible on the couch Hmm. and how that impacted me of like, you weren't just preaching God's word. I knew you were doing it personally too. And I remember either Tuesday night or Wednesday nights, you calling every, we had yellow cards for if you were a first time visitor, if you're a regular time person and you had some need or something that you were there with your pen out, you used your father's analytical <laughs> keeping track of thing mind that it was like Wednesday nights, dad's on mm. the couch and you just called every single person. And I, so I just remember that shepherding aspect that wasn't just mm. the deacons, the leadership team doing that or whatever, that that was something you did that has always stuck with me. Mm. Um, and, you know, as busy as you were with full-time ministry, you were at pretty much everything that I did sports wise or band concerts or whatever. You did miss the one game. I hit a buzzer beater three pointer to win a game. Uh, probably my best performance, 28 points and a buzzer beating three. You yeah. said, I don't know what you and mom were doing that you weren't at that. I can't remember why you missed that game. I don't know. It's on, it's on VHS. If anybody wants, uh, <laughs> wants a copy of it, I'm happy to dish it out. But I mean, other than that though, like, you were there, which was impressive. It's hard to do. Yeah, you were gone a lot for meetings, but I, I always, I mean, in some ways, I, I was a good kid, but I was a bratty pastor's kid. Of I felt like I owned that church by the time I was in sixth grade or whatever, because I knew all the, <laughs> the way our church was. There was secret back stairwells that you could get to different places. I knew the best hiding spots for playing hide and seek at the church, and so I had a little bit of a punky brat aspect to me of that, and so. I think I enjoyed the status of being the pastor's kid because um, I felt like I could do whatever I wanted at the church. Not like I wasn't I wasn't doing bad stuff, mm-hmm. but also like that I I liked that my dad was the pastor. You know, like mm-hmm. I respected that you were the pastor. And then by the time I got older, certainly by like eighth grade, when I started taking my faith even more seriously. Um, I mean, I, I felt like every week I'd write something down on the bulletin of a word I'd never heard before, which is interesting that mom at a talk I went to, you went to last week, she was like, you used like two words I've never used before. And I had flashbacks of like, I remember doing that in high school of like, hey, I don't know this word. What was this word? I don't you're you're, you're using your Ph.D. hat a little too much. Um, but also just uh, talking about your sermons was a pretty common thing that we would do either on the drive home or when we would eat lunch. Mm-hmm. And um and when that that led to as I got older and understood more super deep theological conversations. I mean, I can remember driving from Pullman to Portland to visit family that we just would talk theology for like four hours mm-hmm. on the way there. And so it's it's uh, that's the kind of stuff that I think I've taken with me in being a pastor to students of some of the best moments happen not just at church of the conversations outside, but also trying to to show that with Olivia of trying to read my Bible in the mornings. I don't do it as often as I should. Normally I read it in my office, but I'm trying to get into a habit of mm-hmm. doing it in the morning and um, recording this the week of prayer and fasting. So <laughs> peek behind the curtain, record these early, but Olivia was trying to give me uh, some crackers yesterday after ballet. And I said, Oh, actually I'm fasting. She said, what is that? And so I got to give her like a 10 wow, minute. Cool. It's like, why would anybody do that? And I got to explain, well, this is why we're doing it. It's why the church is doing it. So, Good. um, I think I've really picked up from you where to integrate my Christian life into my regular parenting that it's not like, okay, now it's Bible study time or whatever. Like it just was kind of always happening. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, De- Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Amen. Rise up, yep. you lay down as you walk along the way. Yeah. yeah, and so that, you know, probably stealing further questions you might have, but I, I feel like that's the thing I've taken from you the most in mm. terms of fatherhood mm. is just making it, it's just going to come up in life with my daughter, but also just with students too, of like, mm. if the opportunity presents itself to talk about God, to talk about scripture, then I'm going to do it right then. I'm not going to just let it be a, and so, and that's mm. why I hope the students of our youth group know of me of like, Hey, I love you and I love God. And there's, that's just going to flow into everything that we do. It's not, mm. it's not going to be these segregated times or whatever. Yeah, Having a moment, seeing a father and son talk about this, like reflecting as a pastor and pastor's kid. That's so cool. Yeah. How about, um, not trying to be overly like counselory, but, asking you then mark a question looking back as a dad mm-hmm. hindsight's always 2020 what do you and your wife feel like lord thank you we were imperfect but faithful in this area what do you feel good mm-hmm. about and then if you had a time machine and you could redo kind of mm-hmm. dad pastor life and i'm not trying to make the focus our doing right but right. like just to help us learn yeah. what do you yeah. think something you do different yeah so the, on the positive side um uh, you know I I think we did just try to live authentic faith. It, it wasn't uh, uh, a hat we put on to do the job, but we were something else uh, the rest of the time. It, it was it was authentic, legit stuff. I mean, as I was talking with Joy on the way over here, uh, kind of debrief with her about what do I have permission to share and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, she shared, she was very open. She just start, started talking about all kinds of things. And, you know, so she mentioned the fact that we had our kids involved with some ministry things outside of church, you know, mm-hmm. get, get the call of, of a homeless person to want yeah. something. It's like, well, where are you? We'll pick you up. You can come eat dinner mm-hmm. with us or whatever. And, and we did those sorts of things. We went on mission trips with the kids, uh, uh, roofing houses with yeah. world changers or off to Hong Kong and China. And that's where we met our son that we adopted. And, um, Joy took her two daughter, our our two daughters, with her to mission trip to a, a place called the Safe House that was for women overcoming addiction and kind of a halfway house situation after they'd had a drug conviction or whatever. And and uh, you know those kinds of ministry involvements were they were they're extra things. They weren't even part of the church is just something actually we did that we felt led to do. And uh, so I think our kids saw, you know, genuine, sincere heart for ministry in those things. And, yeah. and then um, my style of parenting, as I've talked to other parents, I think it was somewhat different than the average in just being open and, and joy mm, feels yeah, that way definitely. as well. Open about, uh, uh, money matters, open uh-huh. about uh, how you're feeling about things, open about this job sucks sometimes. Yeah. You know, we're just pretty open about things. And uh, like, I'm surprised at, at how money, for instance, is taboo in so many households. You can't talk about money. And I, I mean, I think I pretty intentionally occasionally would bring each kid mm-hmm. aside like I'm paying bills and it was like well, what are you doing Dad? oh well, well come here sit down let me tell you what I'm doing yeah mm-hmm. and uh, and and I and share the numbers with them it's like so you enjoy this house this is what I have to pay every month 
for us to pay the mortgage. And mm-hmm. you don't know what a mortgage is. Right. Let me explain to you what a mortgage <laughs> is. You know, we borrow money. From the, we don't own this house outright. We the bank owns it. And we're paying the bank back, and and this is what we have to pay every month for that. You know, and it's like, oh wow, you know, yeah. So you should stay in school because <laughs> you're gonna have to get you have to earn yeah. some money to yeah. live. You know, and um, you know, I th- I think that was a good thing we did. Uh, that kind of openness. Uh, one other thing would be that we. We tried to not take our kids as with a cookie cutter mentality of, well, Jordan thrived in Awana and did great with Awana. So, of course, Bethany and Grace. So that's real. I just have to ask. He brings that up often. He was legitimately like the MVP C- of Awana. C- C- Citation award winner. Well done. Uh, no, Timothy. I think you'll. Oh, you oh wait, no, no. You did citation to get into to get a scholarship with Corbin. That's right. I did. I went yeah. back and did. Uh, I did some Sparks books, which were elementary kid books, because <laughs> when I first got there, I was too old for Sparks. Yeah. So I, I banged out like a book in a week of uh-huh. like of like a third grade book or something. Like right. That. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he was uh, he was an Awana star and just loved it. And you know, the scripture memory came easily to him, and he liked athletics and was competitive. So the game time, w- so both you know both main parts of that were great for him. Used to have the three-legged race record for wow. the Awana Olympics with my best friend, Justin Shaheen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that record's been broken. I, I, I can't say I'm on the Awana Olympic forums as often as I should be. That, uh, <laughs> I haven't been called back for reunion or anything on that. But Is there we, 30 for 30 coming out I mean, on this? I, I'm talking with Bill Simmons. We're, we're Good, seeing what, what's in okay. the works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, Bethany didn't really like the game time so much yeah. and just wasn't into it and wasn't as – uh, easy with the scripture memory either and she just didn't like it and uh, you know at first I kind of felt like well gosh but it's such a good program we need to keep her in it but it was pretty quick that I came around to like alright well she doesn't she's not digging it then she doesn't have mm-hmm. to go I mean that's not did she not go the whole time? I didn't even remember that. Oh, she yeah, she dropped. She was in a one and drop out fairly huh. early, and then Grace uh, hardly even sampled it. I mean, she just she just wasn't into it. Grace is is more quite a bit more introverted, mm-hmm. so she, uh, her tolerance for chaos yeah. and noise Which is, is what really it is. low. Yeah. So just you know the raucous uh, game time kind of stuff is like uh, yeah uh, sensory overload for her, and uh, she wasn't just a natural scripture memory either and just like she just yeah she she was quick to say she didn't want to do it so joy and i were on the same page with that pretty easily of of well look they need to be in sunday school and church and they should go to youth group but they don't have to be here for wednesday night awana they don't have to do every other thing that happens and and i tried to help joy to see that as well she she had some uh you know, uh, well, well learned. You know, Baptist guilt from her upbringing. You know, <laughs> well her, her guilt. I'm like, you know, I mean, her her mom was definitely a dyed in the wool Southern Baptist. Yeah. Every day, every time the church doors were open, you got to be there. And you know, she she had a little bit of a. I mean, she was a great, amazing Christian woman, but had that extra yeah. kind of legalistic bent of of all the expectations, what you have to do, you yeah. know, and. Um, and so it took some work to, to help Joy to see you, you got two young kids at home and a, and now a, a baby on top of that or you're nine months pregnant. No, you don't have to come back for the Sunday evening service if right, you yeah. don't feel up to it. And she, she was teaching full time. It's like, no, rest up and 
mm. you're okay, you know. And so that translated to the kids well. Yeah. On the downside, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's just there's sacrifices you make as a pastor. I mean, the good side is that I, I'm on salary. My hours are flexible. I, I guarantee you I got my 40 hours plus in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but yeah, Jordan's got a game that starts at four o'clock. Well, I'm I'm going to be there. You know. Yep. Yeah. Um, but then the downside of that was I did have that habit of the sacrosanct nature of the sermon prep. It has to happen, and I just because I'm a procrastinator and other reasons, I got into this habit of going up to the church about six or seven o'clock on Saturday night and staying there till midnight or two in the morning yeah. uh, till it was done. And uh, so, well, that that um, eliminates uh, the skiing weekend or whatever yeah. else. I mean, you know, the Sunday morning commitment does that, mm-hmm. but even even the Saturday night thing. So, so like even on Saturdays, if we did do an outing during the day, I wasn't fully present a lot of the time. Yeah. I was grumpy because I've got the sermon finishing work. Have you yeah. been following me head? around, Mark Bradley? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I resonate 100% with what you're saying right now. Yeah, yeah I was probably, yeah, I, I was, I know I was irritable and grumpy sometimes mm. because of the, I mean, specifically the burden of weekly sermon prep mm. and the burden you know, but you know, it came from a very sincere place of, yeah. uh, of a, a holy sense of responsibility of, uh, I'm going I'm gonna talk to 300, 400, and sometimes 600 people. Uh, I gotta have something to say. Yeah, the, for 55 minutes, you gotta. That's a lot of content. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I didn't average that many, but sorry, no, it was 55. Uh, there, there were times. Sorry, I'm going to interject. There were times that me and the worship pastor. Because I often would run slides. I started doing that in like sixth or seventh grade. Uh, I just have that innate knack of timing to know when to advance a song slide. And uh, we would hold up signs that said like 40 minutes, 45 Uh minutes from the balcony, 50 minutes underlying exclamation point of like, (laughs) wrap this up, dude. You got a bunch of college kids in this sanctuary. It's it's almost 1215. Like it's time Uh, to go. Well, then Joy sitting in the front row. Yeah. Yeah. Mom mom, mom did that probably back in your Beaver Creek days. Yeah. Dame time Mm -hmm. was uh, Mark time on the sermon. So did you, I mean, uh, we could spend hours talking. I have so many questions right now, but I'll I'll ask this. Like just. Be a five parter. Practically, <laughs> was that how you always just kind of found yourself living week to week uh, as a yeah. pastor, or did you change your rhythms to adjust so Saturday night was nothing? I remember. No. Okay. No, All right. No, it really was my pattern, and and so, um, and you know, I feel conflict conflicted about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I tell my students in seminary, I'm not recommending this to you. I'm just. Confe- I'm confessing yeah, and testifying yeah. what's true. It's what I did. And part of uh, part of it was intentional on my part. I mean, you know, the, the vulnerable part of me says, all right, look, you're procrastinating. <laughs> uh, so, yes, there's that. <laughs> but also uh, I have some workaholic in me. And, you know, the church in Pullman was a pretty significant operation with multiple staff and just a lot of things going on. Um for me to get the extra work out of myself, if I keep doing administrative tasks and and outreach and follow up things and programmatic stuff uh, through the week, I know I'm not going to skimp on the sermon prep because that's just such a holy yeah. uh, responsibility. Yeah. I've got to stand and deliver good stuff on Sunday morning. So I knew that I would 
uh, be able to make myself do that extra six or eight hours on Saturday night. I'm not going to do mm. calendar planning and outreach. Well, I can't do outreach at midnight on right. a Saturday night, right. but I can do sermon prep at midnight sense. on a Saturday night. So it was kind of a trick for me to to milk more out, more productivity out of myself. Huh. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Seriously, this is a real time. I appreciate you uh, sharing that for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, man, I just want to take advantage of this opportunity, having you guys both in the same room. Maybe I'll ask it this way. Uh, how about as a husband, where did you see ministry blessing your marriage and mm-hmm. where, and I know it's case by mm-hmm. case and yeah. share whatever you think is appropriate. Yeah. Where did you find that? Wow, this is hard. It's impacting yeah. our marriage. Just maybe speak mm-hmm. into that for a minute. I think that'd be helpful. Yeah. Well, joy is, is my better half. I mean, there's just aspects to her that are just superior to me. I've said it to her several times just in the last year or so. Since she's been retired, it's been interesting to see, you know, her style of retirement. How unretired she is. Yeah. Well, it's defined retirement. You know, yeah. and, I, and I keep telling her, you know, I just need to tell you that when I finally get around to retiring, I'm probably not going to retire like you. I mean, I really might soak up the couch and have the remote in my hand a whole lot more than you do because she's so servant hearted and compassionate. Like she's mm. doing a lot of uh, ministry to Afghan refugees and, mm. you know, she drags me into it a good bit too and I'm happy to help but I'm not as happy to help as she is to be honest you know I mean I am still working and she has more leisure time to do it but but her heart her heart is just more into it than mine is too it it, it really is worthy of commendation and um, but so as a pastor's wife she was an extraordinary uh, pastor's wife I mean she was working full time as a public school teacher most of that time most of it well in in the uh, years in Pullman, it was in deaf education, so wow. which is extra tiring. I mean, she's she's signing all day long, so her brain is thinking in English, but she's also having to translate wow. and physically move her hands and arms all that time. Mm. It's, it's hard to imagine how exhausting that would be. And in addition to that, she was a very active mom who yeah. you know helped run the household in big ways. And then she was, you know, the director of the children's Sunday school and the VBS director and the, the children's choir director and founded the Ladies Victorian Tea. And I mean, on and on and on. If she was, you know, if she, wow. what about this and those? Yes, those two. I forgot, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. She, I mean, she's a super, super productive person despite struggling with clinical depression. I mean, she's the mm. most functional, depressed person you could imagine. Wow. But did struggle with depression in the midst of it all. So I I recall her, let's see, we left, I finished that pastor at the end of 2009. It was probably about 2005 or six or seven that one time on a date night, she was just feeling down about things. And, and she said, I, I, I need you to not be doing this five years from now, Hmm. please. I, I can't, I can't, I, I gotta, you know, I can't do this forever. So she was feeling the the weight, and some of it was self imposed. I mean, it's like, well, give up. I mean, right. I, I counsel, tried to counsel her that way sometimes, like, give up three things. You know, <laughs> you don't have to do everything you're doing. She had some self imposed pastors' wives got to do everything right. stuff that partly she got from her mom, and um, 
but yeah, that, I mean, I, I really heard that, you know, it's like, okay, I got to revisit why did I get the PhD? Well, so it's because I thought God was calling me to do something at the seminary. I need to have my uh, antenna up for a move that could happen. And, and that's part of why I jumped on it so strong when it did come open in 2009. I don't think I'd ever heard that detail before. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She pretty clearly told me that. Now, I don't know if she mm. would even remember that so strongly because sure. – there there have been a lot of times where in the midst of a depressive episode, she has said things that I've told her later. And right. She's like, what? I don't remember saying that. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, it's like the mental illness kind of overrides her ability to remember things sometimes. But um, uh, so, you know, she was blessed, though, to serve and and got a lot of satisfaction out of her service uh, alongside me or not even alongside me. It's, I mean, she wasn't my helpmate standing next to me while I was doing stuff. No, uh, yeah, she was uh, everywhere. Oh, you guys are married? I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. she's off doing her own stuff. Yeah. And literally sometimes people would finally make the connection. Oh, the lady who does everything else is actually <laughs> the pastor's wife. That's cool. Um, but one huge mistake I made with her that really complicated her depression stuff as well is that this and I, I feel embarrassed to admit this but it's it's instructive is I often used her as my uh, counselor you know mm-hmm. my confidant so I would tell her the horrible things somebody just said to me or the shenanigans going on in church leadership or whatever. And I, I'd tell her about something that was burdensome and hurtful to me um, and troubling. And I would cap it with, but you can't tell anybody else. Yeah. I was like, well, gee, wasn't that nice of me? You know, I get to wow. tell her, but I tell her she can't tell anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I'm like the Jordan River flowing into the Dead Sea and she gets to be the Dead Sea. Wow, my. That was not helpful for her emotional state or, or, uh, mental health. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and I, I don't remember if she finally told me you got to stop doing this to me or, mm. or if it just dawned on me through teaching. I mean, you know, it's a pretty common thing. You don't do that to people. Maybe in reading, I picked up on it. It's like, wow, I got to stop that. And I, mm. I just really made a, a change on that. So wish I'd I wish I'd had that uh, practice way earlier. So in our latter years in Pullman, there would be times when someone would say to Joy, well, I mean, you're probably aware of what's going on with the so-and-sos or whatever. And she'd say, actually, I'm not, and I don't want to know. And, and, uh, you know, Mark doesn't uh, doesn't tell me that kind of stuff anymore or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, That was an important change for us. I appreciate you sharing that and how to— live with your wife in an understanding way is the biblical language that comes to Mm -hmm. mind. Um, Wow. How about, seriously, I appreciate you coming on. I have a bunch of questions I want to follow (laughs) up on, but uh, how about two things? I think it would bless our church to hear you speak about this. What like encouragements would you give to the husbands, dads, even single guys that are like coming behind you generations below you, what encouragements would you give from Mm. your own experience walking with the Lord, raising your own family? And then I'd love to hear you like speak to me right now and Jordan (laughs) and like the, the elders of GBC, you are connected with lots of other churches, you know, the Northwest, just Mm. what encouragements, counsel, 
insight, anything like you think would be important, like for Mm -hmm. our church to hear you say. So Mm -hmm. first to the guys in our church, and then secondly, to us as a church, just from your vantage point, I think that'd be helpful. Um, gosh, I'm putting you on the spot. Sorry. I have laser questions if you want to go there too. Um, (laughs) you know, I mean, someone, I guess, comes back to that, that notion of you can't just do church and, and be a compartmentalized Christian some of the time. It, mm-hmm. it needs to be the real you. And, and that's my perception of what I see at GBC. Uh, I've been there, I don't know, probably eight to ten times, yeah. and mostly times when Jordan's preaching, or maybe exclusively I've only come when he preaches. But um, no, I, I came a couple times early on, especially, and heard Virgil preach, I think, oh, at yeah. least. But um, anyway, people have been friendly, and uh, I've been impressed by Good. you know people that I don't think even knew I was Jordan's dad. They just knew I was a a new face, you know? And so they uh, saddled up to me to have a conversation and, and just came across as very sincere and genuine in their, their interest in me. And, and uh, at least ostensibly read as just a really authentic believer. And, um, you know, I don't know (laughs) if that was a put on for Sunday morning, but, but they, they, they made a good impression on me. And, um, I, I remember um, it was actually one of the WSU varsity head coaches' wives uh, was getting pretty interested in the Lord and was visiting our church some. And I met with her at Starbucks or something one time to, to really try to talk more and, you know, public place and all that. And, and it was just a blessing to hear her say, uh, she had some church background. It was more of a high church kind of background, but she wasn't saved. And and she made the observation that, you know, you and the people at your church, it just, it's obvious that it's not just one little part of your life or something. It's like, it's like mm-hmm. it, it permeates your whole life. And it's like, you, you, you really believe this stuff and it affects everything. You it colors everything about who you are and how you do things or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's the deal. <laughs> that's Amen. What, that's what the gospel is supposed to do, you know. Would you like in? I mean, that's what we're offering to you, you know. We're not we're not selling tickets to heaven here. We're inviting people to be followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. And to have our character transformed and our our, our lives upset. So uh I mean that was a pretty common way I would try to uh characterize the Christian life in my preaching to believers re- regarding mm-hmm. discipleship and to uh, prospects, evangelistic prospects regarding what we're inviting you to is like, this is going to, you know, this is going to change your whole life. Yeah. I mean, uh, more and more when I, in evangelism, in one-on-one evangelism, I, you know, I, it's like I keep adding extra little speeches, you know. So I got somebody that's ready, you know, so do you feel like today you're ready today to commit your life to Christ? Yes, yes, I think I want to do that. All right, I got one more speech I got to give you. you know, and that one <laughs> count more, the cost. Yeah. Yeah, it count the cost. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that extra speech would be, you know, you just I, I just need to make sure you understand what we're doing here. 
This is not, oh, I get to be whatever I want to be, and I get to go to heaven when I die. You know, that's not the program. Uh, what we're talking about here is the most important decision in your life. It's more important than who you're going to marry, what you're going to major in in college, what you're going to do for a job, where you're going to live, how many kids you're going to have. It's the most important thing you can do. We're talking about eternity, right? And 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 it's it's total. It it. It rearranges everything about your life. The way you're going to handle money is going to be different. The way you're going to think about sex is going to be different. The way, you know, it's total. Uh, It's transformational. It's a conversion. And so that entails major change you need to be ready to buy into. Preach. Is is that what you want? You know, because that's that's what we're offering here. And, you know, when they say yes to that, it's like, all right, now we're getting a convert who is a disciple on day one. Rather than you know six months later when they're still drinking and and sleeping around, you have to hit them with, hey, you know that day you accepted Christ. Well, I didn't tell you about discipleship, but there's some <laughs> other stuff we need to talk about. Yeah. No, they you know if you get that in on day one, they're more likely to actually sign up to be a volunteer in Sunday school and and uh, yeah. in in the nursery and might. Not be shocked when you suggest that they ought to give a portion of their income to support the Lord's work and all yeah. kinds of stuff, you know? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. How about you, you know, teach, work with a lot of men in ministry and just men, period. Like what any specific encouragements or counsel you'd give? And I guess I just keep thinking as a dad, like I mm. am realizing more and more I need insight, advice. I'm blessed to have a dad who loves Jesus. I'm thankful for him. Thankful for the other brothers in GBC. We can speak into each other's life, but I just want to, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, like Mm. just any counsel advice you'd give to the men of our church. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I I admire what I see in your church from a distance and and what Jordan and Taylor have characterized to me. It just seems like such a strong family church. So, I mean, I almost feel like you guys (laughs) probably have lots you could teach me. uh, I mean, for instance, we 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 weren't a faithful family devotional time uh, family. We we didn't uh, do much of that in terms of formal. No, we were talking about it, but yeah, we didn't have. Yeah, it was. Hey, it was it's Wednesday night way. family yeah, Bible it study a or whatever. Yeah. set time or whatever. I mean, I tried to sample that a little bit. Honestly, it didn't go very well, and I wimped out and said, like, "Okay, whatever." But yeah. I'm just gonna gonna talk about the Lord when it comes up. Um, but. I guess just one of the main guiding principles of how I try to think about things could be relevant, which is, you know, uh, John 1.14, uh, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, that full of grace and truth notion, I think, is, is a helpful rubric or paradigm mm-hmm. for how to think about what you want to be and how you want to behave. Um, we've got, you know, the fruit of the spirit. Well, that's a pretty long list, you know, but just grace and truth. Okay. That's just two things, two things. Maybe I can handle this, you know, uh, and Jesus was full of both. And so if we can keep working on trying to be full of both and keep wrestling with the interaction of those and, and how they rub against each other and which is more called for in this way, in this situation rather than the other, uh, Jesus was full of both. As individuals, we're going to have a tendency to be all trumped up on truth but not so gracious nope. or be, uh, you know, uh, a bleeding heart 
grace-filled person who plays fast and loose with the truth. Well, Jesus had them both going, you know. Uh, and you see him see him more prominent with one than the other in certain times. I mean, when he was with the Pharisees, he tended to be giving them the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. Matthew 23, you're going to give them the woes. Um, with the, the woman caught in adultery, you know, he puts the grace out on, and, and but it still speaks truth. You know, yeah, they, they're right. always both there, but as a as a spouse uh, and as a parent and just as a person living in this world, to just be mindful of that in advance of interactions you're going to have. Sometimes you know you're going to have a tough conversation, right? How can I balance grace and truth? How can I speak truth into this situation like Jesus would? And how can I do so with the grace Jesus would do? And by the way, you know, I mess this up every week, but it's an asp- it's, this <laughs> is aspirational, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's a guiding aspiration for me, not something that I've mastered. Um, so in advance, you can work on it, um, and that'll help you. Uh, in the moment, in the midst of the interaction, let it be a framework that mm. helps you correct yourself. Like I've gotten into situations uh, thinking I knew the truth, and I need to speak some truth, so I start speaking truth. And then I get some new truth mm. from them. You know, it's like, and they tell me some other thing I didn't know. Like, I don't know. Have you ever counseled a couple, uh, one one person in a in a relationship, and then you finally find out from the other person the rest of the story is like, oh, well, that colors the whole situation yeah, a little differently. Right. So in the midst of an interaction, you find some new datum of information, mm. and uh, I mean, I've tried to train myself to just literally say, okay, time out. I didn't know that part. Mm. Hang on, I got to recalculate. You know, like like the your GPS uh, voice on your yeah. phone or uh, recalculating. Uh, I didn't know that part. And then and then sometimes I'll just even apologize. All right, I came in thinking I knew the truth there, and I was kind of laying it on you. I've got some mm. some more grace for you now. That I know this, and then for the sake of personal growth. In retrospect, when the interaction when the interaction is over, you can reflect on how you did and did I speak the truth like Jesus would have spoken? Did I uh, exude grace the way Jesus would have exuded it? In in what ways did I fall short in those things? All right, God, help me to do better next time. Or what amends do I need to make right now? Do I do I need to make a gracious follow-up contact because I wasn't gracious enough? Or do I need to go back and say, you know, there's another aspect of this I didn't think of in advance, but I need to speak a little Hmm. piece of truth here. Um, I I think if we deal with our spouses and our children and others that way, it'll be helpful. And um, yeah. I can can testify that this is something you've been all about for a long mm-hmm. time. This is a sermon I've heard before. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. well, just, not just you heard me, you saw it lived. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I would say it's something that I I also try to do often. Um, yeah, I mean, I could I could give some quick tips to men just from what I've learned from you that you wouldn't have seen, but mm-hmm. or especially as a father of, um, even though you had long days, you hung out with us when we came home. It wasn't you. You found interest that we had as well. I think you and I clicked better than with Bethany and Grace uh, with our love of basketball and movies. I am the movie buff I am because of you and love basketball because of you. Um, but we did stuff together and it like felt yeah. genuine like you and you got interested in other things I'd be interested in, too. So that that went a long way. Um, you 
you raised us in partnership with your wife of, mm-hmm. you know, it, she didn't do all the chores, all the cooking. You helped, you made breakfast every morning. She normally did dinner, but then you did the dishes and you mm-hmm. had other, like, it never, when I would hear, or even now as a husband, when I hear of husbands that like don't do much around the house, I'm like, what? Like this does not compute because mm-hmm. I saw you guys do that. And I was like, why would you not do this for your wife? So if you're a husband, you're not doing stuff, do stuff for your wife. Um, uh, I think even the way uh, you disciplined me it went a long way. I I don't know if I can ever remember you yelling at me in my life. Hmm. I can remember you being upset or disappointed in me and, and talking through why this was not okay behavior. I was never scared of you like some people are of their fathers hmm. because that hmm. was just not – and that probably goes to some of the grace and truth aspect stuff that you're talking about here of like, well, Jesus wasn't – screaming and yelling at people yeah at the pharisees he would have harsh words sometimes and yeah there were times you had to you had to straighten me out that i was being dumb or a jerk or whatever but uh i think that went a long way too and then what i stuff i said earlier of like i saw you demonstrate your personal faith throughout the week it like it was no sure. doubt in my mind that you loved jesus other than yes you had the responsibility to preach like it was an obvious thing. So, you know, men, if you're not weekly day or daily doing stuff in your life to persist in your personal relationship with Jesus, then why would your kids, what example do they have to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, I never wanted to be a pastor uh, because, you know, we didn't, we could go another hour talking about some of the tough stuff that we dealt with. Oh, I was going to say the open thing. Uh, the open thing was huge hmm. that when there was, when the worship wars happened in 1993 or four in our church, that you introduced drums and guitars and people said mean stuff about you to me as a nine-year-old, we wow. talked about it and I already knew that the issues were going on, but then, you know, specifically talked about that. Other stuff, you would let me know what was going on behind the scenes. You weren't giving me out. You know, Mike, I don't go home and tell your kids everything. I don't tell Taylor <laughs> and Olivia everything going on at church. But there were certain things that you let me know. Or if mom was having a depressive time, we talked about that. So it never felt like – I think it made us feel like we had ownership in the family and probably matured us faster in a good way mm-hmm. because we got to be on the same level. Things weren't hidden from us. You guys weren't trying to act like everything was perfect in our family. <laughs> and so – and I, yeah. I know it wasn't. And and so I can look back now and say I wouldn't want to be raised any differently because mm. I was never aspiring for the perfect family because what we had worked the right way. And then as we got older and transitioned from father-son to friends – uh, just the openness that's come with that of mm. the vulnerability that we've had with one another. And I mean, just in a ministry standpoint, like I've gotten some very <laughs> deep insights into ministry things that had gone wrong in the past or whatever. Some of that stuff from Pullman, I didn't know about that. That's been huge though, for me to understand and not in a gossipy sort of way, but in like in a teaching sort of way that mm-hmm. our relationship continues to be one of teaching and sometimes me teaching you. Sometimes it flips around at this point yeah. in our life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's like, it's really easy. It's not that hard to, I feel like it just takes a little bit of effort to be a good husband, a good father, a good man. And it's just making the time for people to do it. Even when you are tired, I, it's something I, it, 
I, I got to be honest, my five-year-old's interests don't totally align with mine right now. And so uh, I, it's one I'm looking forward to her getting older as we find things that like, okay, I really enjoy what we're doing right now too. I mean, that's one that like, but I try to like your example, I try to think back like, okay, but I can remember you sitting down to play junior monopoly with me or whatever and being brutal of you're going to destroy me in it, even as a seven-year-old, because you know, you play by the rules. You play to win the game. You're in my dojo now. Oh, I've, yeah. I've, I've been graining that in my daughter. Yeah. You play to win the game. But um, yeah, I just being present, doing stuff with your kids, with your spouse, helping your spouse. And, and yeah, I think that openness aspect is a huge thing. You, you already touched on it that a lot of families don't do. Mm-hmm. Don't to be don't be open about everything. There, I mean, there's obviously some mm-hmm. wisdom discernment within that. Mm-hmm. But uh it, I mean, it, it shaped, I think, my prayer life as well as a young kid of mm. I could pray with you guys about stuff that was going on that. Um, and then it, it oh, I got off track of I didn't I didn't want to be a pastor and I didn't want to be a pastor to follow in your footsteps. Obviously, Joel, my youth pastor, I've talked about him and my testimony had a big impact on that. But because I had seen from you that you can be a pastor and still have a regular life. And, you know, like you never were elevated as a pastor of like in a holy aura or whatever. Like you just, mm-hmm. you're just dad, you're just Mark. Like you still were a regular guy who watched sports and did normal things or whatever. Whereas like, I feel like some pastors always have to have like this air of superiority or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and that never has been a thing that you've had. And so when I felt called to ministry, not only did I have you as a confidant, I can immediately talk to about how to do this, but I think it gave me a framework and a model of like, I don't have to stop being me. And I think that translates, we're all ministers of the gospel, whether or not we have pastor in front of our name at a church, we don't have to stop being who we are because of the grace and truth thing, the permeating, the, the uh, conversion that you talked about too, of like, it's a total, we give everything over and yeah. You and mom did that. And so it's given me to know it. I don't do it perfectly either, obviously, but it's given me, <laughs> given me an example to shoot for and to try to raise my daughter and then our students in, in that same path forward. So that's yeah. really cool. Thank you guys so much. This has been a blessing encouragement to me and the church just gets to kind of listen in on it. So Mark, thank you so much for coming in and, Happy and to be doing here. this. So you, you guys have got a great church and uh, uh, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and been impressed by them as well. So I think it's a good thing. That's you're doing all here. editor Jordan. So yeah. well done. Yeah. The MVP, the point, Iwana MVP and the podcast MVP. Point, point guard Mike leading the conversations <laughs> well is doing well too. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Thank you. So Gresham Bible Church, hope this conversation has encouraged you challenged you in different ways um and if you have any questions or it sparks anything you want to talk about um that's the whole point of this podcast is that it tees up real conversations in real life for us as a local church family so uh, always feel free to reach out to me and that's at mike at gresham thank you very much until next time